Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Luke Wyatt. Luke appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call, 615-830-9458. Now to our interview with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins me today. This is Monday morning. Vanderbilt has beaten Ole Miss over the weekend. And then there was the game against Alabama. You've seen some baseball. We got lots to talk about today, Luke. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. It was an interesting week. We went from the, uh, you know, you say you hit rock bottom. That was to me. And uh, I know Stackhouse said that effort wasn't an issue. I, I, you don't get beat by 57 and effort not being an issue. Uh, I know Alabama's a great team, but that was an unacceptable deal. Uh, Remind me of the Stallings game against Kentucky back in 2000, whatever it was, 13 or whenever it happened. Uh, And, and hey, look, they played close against just about everybody except for that game. Uh, You get a mulligan, uh, but they had to come back and win Saturday. Uh, Weren't terribly impressive, but they did win the game, um, which they had to do. And – now they've got one coming up Wednesday that can change uh, everyone's feelings if you can pull it off. Do you want to get into that one uh, or get into the one that just happened Saturday or go Alabama first? Uh, well, there's not a lot to say about Alabama. I, you know, the, Like I said, you get beat by 57 and they're sh- shooting now. I understand they hit 19 threes, but I didn't see. They're also I 17 of 20 on twos, and that's effort. Yeah, and that's effort. And when they would just take the ball down the gut of your defense and dunk it, I, I've never seen so many dunks. It looked like the uh, Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. I mean, it was embarrassing. And I know that yeah. everybody knows There was a point in the game where, uh, you know, actually we got outscored 62 points because we scored the first five of the game. So from that point forward, they outscore us by 62. And, uh, you know, you you have to try to do that, to lose that bad. I have no excuse for that one. There's two on the schedule I have no excuse for, that one in Grambling. Um, And the one win that I give them a feather in the cap in is Arkansas. The rest of it has kind of played out the way it kind of could have or should have. But uh, um, going to Ole Miss, I, I feel like, you know, that, I was I was excited the way they played there at the end when it was crunch time. They got the lead up to 11. Um, tried to give it back by missing free throws, but still held on for the win. And that's all. You just had to win Saturday. It's that simple. You had to win. And we are in the situation we shouldn't be in, and that is just about every game we play is a must win. You never want to be in that situation, but that's where we are. All right, I want to ask you this. Everybody's talked about his rotations, his bizarre playing time patterns, the, you know, playing 15 guys or whatever it is. I'm exaggerating it a little bit, but not a lot. Right. (laughs) 
Saturday, you saw him coach in a more normal fashion. Minutes. Lawrence, 57, or excuse me, 37. Manion, 33. Robbins, 32. Studi, 27. Thomas, 24. Melora Brown, 14. Smith, 19. And Amsong and Lewis each with seven. What do you make of that? I make of that, if you look at what, let's go back to game one of the season, whenever we're, uh, he basically makes statements during press conferences that this is a veteran-led team. Uh, we got some talented kids, but they're going to be learning. And then midway through the season, well, I'm going to play who's playing hard. So he throws in a couple of walk-ons and starts playing the freshman. So that, down goes the roller coaster. Now we're back up, and he makes a statement after the game Saturday in his press conference that we're going with the veterans from here on out. Okay, well, why does it take 23 games to figure that out? That's why, why was it why was it so casual to get here? It's like now he Saturday he does the things that everybody thinks he should have be doing all along. Why why is it twenty three games in that it happens then? I don't know. And, and and here's my thing too. I understand, yes, it is very important to be playing your best basketball this time of year moving forward. I get that. You're coming down the home stretch. But you've got to have wins against the Grambling. You've got to have wins against the Southern Miss or whoever it may be at home where you're not put into a situation where every dadgum game is a must-win. And that's what it, he doesn't seem to understand. It's like when we lost early in the year, it, didn't, it rolled off his back like it didn't matter. And this is not the NBA. We don't play 82 games. Um, I think that's just his – he's learning. I get that. But it's year four. That learning curve is done. And, uh, again, we run some great stuff offensively. We do. I love some of the – out of that, when we do call a timeout, the play coming out of the timeout was beautiful, the, where we got the backdoor layup, I think, by Tyron. There's, when we run a set play sometimes and we're not just running off motion, those are – we usually get a great open shot. But, you know, that part of his game I don't have a problem with. It's all the ancillary stuff. The handling of the media, all that, you know. But we're going to find out. We he can listen. What we do Wednesday night will determine a whole lot. Because if you go out there, I've said it all along. The league's not great. Tennessee's had last two games have averaged fifty points a game. It was a rock fight between them and Auburn Saturday. I know it's two good defenses, however you want to put it. But we'll get open shots Wednesday, and if we can make them, we can beat Tennessee. Uh, if we don't, we come out and uh, play like we did in the second half in Knoxville, then we'll get boat raced. Okay, uh, the Ole Miss game. Yeah, Two guys were tremendous. Tyron Lawrence and Liam Robbins both had double-doubles. Robbins was seven, or excuse me, three blocks away from a triple-double. It was those kids who won them the game. No question. I, I will have to throw a uh, – throw one to uh, Quentin Malore Brown as well. I thought he played excellent. Ten points. Uh, I don't know how, how many rebounds, but Q was very good as well Saturday. Um, I thought Colin Smith in his limited minutes did a great job in the first half. Uh, I really liked that part of the game, uh, 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 of what he did. Um, I think if you get that rotation down to eight, figure it out, and no one gets in foul trouble, that uh, – Moving forward, you can win some games. There's a lot of winnable games left on the schedule. It really is. 
Well, they may have done that. They got the rotation basically down to seven if you exclude Ansong and Lewis. And then, of course, Jordan Wright would be eight. He was not healthy and not playing. And I hopefully will be back soon. But well, it, um, the, the concussion protocol is only five or six days. So okay. he, may, he could play tomorrow night. It depends, you know, I think they'll probably test him today. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, concussions. What I heard, I hadn't. I don't know that I'd said it publicly, but I, I guess it's been out there. So, um, it, it, it is. yeah. Anything else on on that one or, or Alabama? Or I, I know um, we're going to do some baseball talk too because you got to see them scrimmage the other day. What order do you want to go in? We've also got the mailbag to do. Yeah, well, we, it doesn't matter what, it, what whichever's better for you. I the script, I actually saw them when they were warming up. I didn't see any scrimmage, but I got to see where they were taking ground balls and that type of thing, and uh, kind of got a feel for where they're looking at kids. I know Tim puts them everywhere just to see where they can play and gives them uh, where the, he loves multiple position guys. Uh, but uh, I, I think Joey did a great job on the board of outlining what he saw at Lipscomb, and I wanted to kind of. Uh, back that up let's do this let's table baseball let's stay topical i'll go into the mailbag okay and what we'll do is we'll we'll hit basketball stuff first maybe some other things and then end with some baseball so great all right our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, which is a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Let's see. Where do we want to start? Um, all right, let's go here. JDL Cav. You had previously indicated in a response to a question that decision makers judge coaches and make their hiring and firing decisions on the coach's body of work as a whole and not in response to an individual game. Is it still fair to assume that whoever makes a hire fire decision for Coach Stackhouse will view Vanderbilt's loss to Alabama as a loss like any other? If not, why not? Well, it, it, if it's a one-off, like hopefully that was, that's all you look at. I mean... Kevin Stallings coached another 10 years at Vanderbilt after his. So if that's the only time it happens, yeah. When, when you get two of those in a year, or three of those in a year, uh, it becomes a huge problem. So, yeah, I don't think – it's it's alarming. It, you know, common sense tells you that's alarming because when you get beat by that many points, it's not just a performance thing. It's an effort thing as well. Yeah. Okay. Woody VU 66, now that Stack has saved his job by barely beating one of the worst teams in the SEC and Memorial, what year should we expect his first NCAA tournament trip? In year six, seven, or eight? <laughs> well, obviously that's tongue-in-cheek. If, if, if Stackhouse is here in year six, seven, or eight, uh, I mean, we, you know, he won't, uh, in my opinion, if, he, if it isn't in year five, he won't be here any longer. So we won't see a six, seven, or eight. Frida's boss, Luke, can you talk about what Stackhouse does well, what he does poorly, and what ultimately the Vanderbilt decision makers will decide his fate on? Yeah, just mentioned that a while ago. Uh, uh, what he does X and O-wise and 
obviously I think the kids love him for the most part, either that or they're putting on a heck of a show. Um, I, I love what he does offensively. I'm a little disappointed in our defense. I think, I think he thought that we'd be better defensively. And, and if you held a gun to his head, I think he would tell you that right now. Um, and if they were better defensively, I think there'd be two or three more wins on there. So as much as we talk about rotations and who's playing and who's not, it's the team defense that's probably been my biggest disappointment uh, as far as the uh, basketball part of it. And then hit my, the other thing with him is how he handles the media and the ancillary stuff. You know, there's things that he says like the scheduled loss and then after the game the other day, he's talking about I can't wait to watch North Carolina and Duke. Look, no one cares that you want to watch North Carolina and Duke. We all know you played at North Carolina. We all know you played in the NBA. That's not what you're here for. You're here for Vanderbilt and to win games at Vanderbilt. That's all we care about. The Superior, what would you think about adding an enclosed club level below the Crow's Nest at Memorial Gym, sections 3A to 3E? Um, I, I would actually agree with that to an extent, although I would put them in 3F and 3L in the end zones because those are the seats of the toughest ones to sell. Uh, I, I think that's a great idea to have something there because the days of 15,000 or 14, 626, whatever it is now, are pretty much over. Uh, and if you get to a sellout, it's because you're going to be playing a Kentucky when they're really, really good and you have 7,000 and they have the other seven. So, yeah, I think if you brought capacity down to 12,000, Memorial still be just as loud and uh, you could really use that space for something profitable. What do you think the crowd's going to be like on Wednesday for Tennessee? Um, probably the worst of the year because Kentucky was during the week, but Tennessee fans are all here in Nashville. They're everywhere. So uh, it'll be probably 6,000 Vandy and it'll be 50, 50 or 60, 40 Tennessee. The students are the key. They can drown out a lot of that stuff. If the students show up and they should, uh, there was still even quite a few if they Ole Miss game. Uh, but if they show up Wednesday night in mass, the, the sound and all that will be good. Those end zones is where your problem is because they all sit. That's going to be all Tennessee in that end zone behind their bench going all the way up. So that it sounds so loud because they're all grouped together. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. 60-40 move the needle in anything or does it just, does it not matter? Because I mean, I think you and I are both thinking 
And I mean, the, the chancellor's the wild card in this. It just sounds like everything I hear coming out of McGugan and everything that I hear or, or maybe don't hear is a better way coming out of the agent community. It just seems like he is getting another year unless it's just a disaster from here on out. Well, I agree with that. And, and I, but I, I think, I still think if we don't get to the NIT, that it, he should be gone. I, that's just my feeling. That's an opinion. Uh, and it's only because of wh- what next year looks like. Next year, right now, of course, you don't know how many people will transfer and how many kids will come in and what we might get in the portal if there is a mass exodus. But if you, if you, you're almost damned if you do, damned if you don't right now. Next year is not going to be a good year for Vanderbilt basketball unless this team sets the precedent and rallies. If this team rallies, plays well, everyone stays, the kid has eligibility left, then there's a positive note going into next year. Without it, either way, it's going to be a, ro- a long year and you're back to square one again next year. The chancellor's the wild card in all this, isn't he? He is. He, listen, uh, he and Gordon Gee are the only two that have really given the time and the care to athletics. Genuine time and genuine care. And he's he's the hope, you know he he is. And I, I I'm not saying that the athletic department don't want to win, and uh, you know Candace was a former player and all that. What whatever, but you know the proof is in the pudding. And the last five to six years of football and basketball have been horrible. Now football's on the right track. I really believe that. And even though the women are one in nine, uh, if she can ever get players healthy and get a full roster, I think Shay Ralph will get the women's team back to prominence. But, you know, men's basketball was the bell cow for Vanderbilt for years. Memorial Gym was uh, envied by just about everybody in this league. You know, it's as loud as any place when it's full of Vanderbilt fans, it's as loud as any place in the country. And they they still have that out there if they want to do it. But uh, it is. You're right. It's Deermeyer. Okay, via Superior, what sport would you like to see added in the next few years? Seems like gymnastics could be something that could utilize existing facilities pretty well. Perhaps they could share the volleyball facilities as volleyball is a fall sport and gymnastics is a spring sport. Yeah, I mean, I would, to me personally, I'd want softball, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Softball or gymnastics, yeah, I agree with that. Sean Johnson have any eligibility? I don't know. Let me call Andrew and see. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't get the joke, she went to Vanderbilt. So, yeah. um, V. Period. What was the best pre-Corbin baseball team you witnessed, and what were they like? Uh, well, it was nineteen eighty, uh, Muburn's SEC championship team. Uh, they were really good. That was Scotty Madison, uh, and they had really good pitching. And that was always Coach Muburn's uh, problem. He had teams that could hit, but uh, he he could never get enough pitching. And when he did get, you'd think three good starters, he'd lose one to injury or something like that. So, I, uh, you know, a lot of people don't remember this, but uh, the the kid and uh, you may be able to help me here, Chris. What was the pitcher's name that came here that was really really good? He, Mark I think Pryor. Yes, Mark Pryor. You know, Muburn had him here, 
and it went south with him. Uh, Mark Pryor could have made a difference in those teams then, but 1980 was definitely the best baseball team pre-Corbett. Raiders 1967, what are the most important games on Vanderbilt's 2023 football schedule and might Wake Forest be the most important game? Now, you don't have this in front of you, so I'm just going to read it to you in order. Hawaii, Alabama A&M at Wake at UNLV, Kentucky, Missouri at Florida, Georgia at Ole Miss, Auburn at South Carolina at Tennessee, by weeks after the Georgia and South Carolina games. Well, I'll tell you the swing games, in my opinion. He's correct about Wake Forest. Uh, not that it's a must win, but it's it's huge to hopefully get to six. And then the Missouri-Kentucky, you got to at least split that, and then you have to beat Auburn at home. I think that – and I don't – I know Auburn is a good coach now, but I, I don't think Auburn in one year will, will be that much improved. I'd rather have played them early in the year, but I still think – that's that's a very winnable game for us. I don't know. Remember how much Hugh Freeze improved Ole Miss his first year, and I'll I'll just set the table for you. That was the year, the year before they came here and got pounded. I want to say it was like thirty to seven. That was Houston nuts last year. The next year they went to Oxford, and I think Ole Miss went six and five ish that year. Um, maybe Oreo remembers. But Oreo's right. He opened the briefcase. You're right, Oreo. He opened the briefcase. Right. <laughs> that was the game in which they left, I think, Chris Boyd wide open and Matthews, or excuse me, Rogers hit him with a touchdown late in the game for them to win that one on Oxford. I mean, Hugh Freeze made a massive difference in year one off a team that was awful the year before. Yeah, I mean, wasn't that the year he wound up getting those two brothers in that uh, they couldn't believe they had like a them one of the top five recruiting classes. Kim Dichies, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, yeah, he turned it around. There was a reason for him being able to turn it around. I don't know that he has that in his hip pocket anymore. Uh, maybe he does. Maybe he still does works operates that way. If he does, then maybe yeah. Um, but like I said, that's just one of those four. I think those are the four most important games: is Auburn, South Carolina. I mean, Missouri, Kentucky, and the Wake game. You can win three of those four. I think we're going bowling. Raiders 1967. Luke, you've experienced chancellors from Chancellor Hurd to Deermeyer. What have you heard and seen that makes you optimistic concerning Chancellor Deermeyer? I think we've covered ground on this before, uh, but since yeah. it was asked and people may not have heard it, I will let you have at it. Well, I've had too many people that have met him. Uh, and I know you say, well, you met somebody they can always put on a show or whatever, uh, just from afar. And then I, I got to meet him, uh, at the Tennessee game and we're standing there. I was standing there at the star walk thing. I got to meet him and part of his family was there and, uh, I could just tell he cares and, and listen, Gordon Gee cared. He, he is so much like Gee and that he, look, I think if you ask him, he was just as embarrassed as any of these fans were by that 57-point loss at Alabama. He knows that's not good enough, no matter how you slice it and however you want to call it, a scheduled loss or any of that other crap. When, when you get beat by 57, it hurts. It stings. It's embarrassing. And uh, I think that's where Deermeyer cares. Whereas if Zeppos, he would have said, oh, we lost, oh, that's too bad. You know, I, I just think that's what it is. Uh, there's too many people I know that have had conversations, meetings with him, that agree with me and say, Luke, he's our hope. 
Yeah, everything that I hear is consistent with that too. And, and again, we've covered that ground here before. But all right, let's talk baseball for a minute. You got to watch them a little bit the other day. What are you seeing and hearing? Uh, well, I watched the. You know, let me go give Joey credit again for what he saw after I did when he saw him over at Lipscomb. He saw a lot more than I did. He saw actual scrimmage. Uh, I can just see, and, and you know, Corbs loves to play kids, uh, loves kids that can play multiple positions. And uh, that was very much in play the other day. I saw kids playing corner. The corner guys, you had Chris Maldonado at third. Uh, I saw uh, Bastin. I saw Polk. You saw probably eight, ten guys playing infield. Uh, I think that left field spot, from what I can gather, is going to be either McKenzie or Hewitt. Um, interesting enough, and I don't know how Brownie does the pitching, um, the the kids who I kind of looked at as not being contributors this year, I may be wrong on, and that J.D. Thompson, David Horn, they, were, they looked actually pretty good. I was watching one of them throwing the bullpen, um, and it's just a bullpen, but uh, – those kids are talented too. I, 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 and I don't didn't count on them playing this year, and they may not. But uh, I just see the pitching depth is such a, you know, Tennessee has probably the best rotation, but as depth wise, I think our 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 stacks up with anybody. It's just going to be a matter of do we hit enough, and we I think we all agree with that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, the, the the pitching they've just got so many arms. Uh, more than they've had in a few years, I think. Um, is there a locker? Locker. <laughs> That's a synthesis of rocker and lighter. Uh, there there might, may not be a, a locker in here, or Jake Locker for that matter. Uh, but Carter Holton might be pretty close, and I just think they've, they've just got more. I mean, you've heard me say this on the pod before. I think they've got more options than they generally have, and they generally have a lot of options. Now, I think the guy to watch – I'm just going to throw this out there. Jonathan Vastine was a kid that I think started for them game one a year ago, which is usually a pretty good indicator of a kid who they feel is ready to play. He homered yesterday off Thomas Schultz, Joey reported when he was there to watch. And Aria Gerson had tweeted about him hitting a home run in a scrimmage. She watched, I think, on January the 27th. So, look, if you look on paper last year, and what they've got coming back on their lineup, it's a little concerning. And I'm not saying that's not going to wind up to be the truth. I don't know. I'm sitting and kind of watching with as much interest as anybody else is. But Vastine, Diaz, a lot of these kids, it's not like they were lowly regarded prospects. I mean, you're seeing those guys on on MLB draft forecast. No, not, you know, not first or second round, but you're seeing them getting mentioned as prospects even after neither hit really much a year ago. Um, you know, Matt, Matt Polk's a guy that's been getting some good press through D1 and places like that. We know what they're getting in Bradfield and Shrek, it feels like. Noland really hit the ball pretty well the last few weeks of last year, and I feel like as a fourth-year senior, that's a kid a lot of times. You've seen it with fourth-year seniors at Vandy before. Ethan Paul, Stephen yep. Scott, guys like that. Sometimes that's when you have your best year. I, I know that you look at it on paper from last year, and a lot of people see it as, I'm not going to say hopeless, but they've got a dim view of it. I'm Look, I'm not telling you that's wrong. That may end up being right. 
But there's some context around some of those guys that if it's a lot better than people think, it shouldn't be a complete shock either. Well, I think this, you know, we talk about the guys like Bastine. When we saw the flashes from him, Polk, uh, the stretch that Bolger went through where he was hitting everything, to me, this year is the year all that comes to fruition, where those flashes become more the norm. And right. I think that's that's the reason why I think we will become a, a good hitting, at least middle of the conference type team. Uh, I've heard some rumors out there. I don't know if you have, Chris, that there's some things going on possibly with the bat and the ball and the glove and all that. I don't know. Oh yeah. But if that if that ha- that's going to do nothing but help Vanderbilt and some of these gorilla ball teams, it's going to hurt them a lot more than they thought. I'll be interesting to watch the numbers as they unfold. Um, and the other thing is scheduling. We are playing – if strength of schedule means anything, Chris, we've got to be in the top five strength of schedule in the country. Oh, yes, if not one. It's got to be. Um, I looked at who Tennessee's playing. They don't have anybody that, uh, in the top 25. They have playing teams that are getting votes before conference play, but I don't think they play anybody that's top 25. Well, uh, so they they play they play out west. They play Arizona, Grand Canyon, San Diego, which aren't bad teams, and they've got a series with Gonzaga, which is usually pretty decent uh, NCAA tournament caliber team. A lot of years, it's not. I mean, I've seen worse, but they're not top twenty-five teams. We play eight top twenty-five games in non-conference. Yeah, um, here's the thing that he's doing that I think is really smart too. He's got neutral site games against TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas, Nebraska, Maryland, Minnesota, plus Lipscomb and Belmont. That really helps your RPI. Um, I mean, they could play Lipscomb and Belmont at home just as easily, but it counts differently when you're playing that as a neutral game. I think he is gaming the schedule really well. Oh, I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, on the equipment stuff, yeah, I'm hearing a lot about that. I need to circle back with a source on that and, and make sure I can say some things publicly that that I'm pretty sure are true because I don't want to burn someone there. But I'll just say, and, and you and I have compared some notes on this, it's going to be significantly, significantly different this year if what I have heard is true. Look, if you want to cheat, there's always ways to do it. But I think it's going to be much, much, much tougher to do it this year. Yeah, that's what I was, the first uh, 17 or 18 non-conference games, I'm really going to be watching these teams that put up crazy numbers like UT and Auburn and several others and see if that continues. Uh, I'll, I'm going to bet that it doesn't. Uh, and uh, if, like you said, they'll probably figure out a way to cheat. Uh, if you want, like you said, if cheaters, cheaters are going to cheat. But uh, I think it's going to be a lot tougher on them to try to cheat. Well, I think it's fair to say, without naming any names, uh, sometimes the coaches are complicit, and, and sometimes I think you've even got ethical coaches who've got kids that have done stuff with maybe without their knowledge. Is that a fair way to put it? That's a fair way to put it. I, listen, I've got a nephew who is a highly recruited kid. He was at Kentucky this weekend and uh, loved Coach Mangione. He's, you know, could possibly go play up there. He hadn't been offered, but I think things are looking up for that. 
anyway, uh, Auburn's looked at him. Coach Corbin and, and Mike Baxter have reached out to him. And I get to see a lot of those kids, and, and there's a lot of parents that tell me, and these are some parents that are UT fans, that my kid ain't playing for that guy. So I think that's out there now, and that they don't want, you know, to play. Look, you can play college baseball in a lot of good places, a lot. And to go play for someone who, in my opinion, is unethical, uh, yeah, let me just stop there because I can go on all day about him. Yeah, well, and there are some coaches in this league that I think are very ethical, and I think there's several in the SEC East, uh, some guys that I have interacted with a little bit um, here and there, and I've I've got some connections at other places in the league, too. I I think it's just what has happened is somebody said to me this week – The money's driven it, right? It's become a lot more like everything follows football eventually when the money gets to be big. And as the money has gotten bigger, what you were seeing in the sport is resembling a lot of what you see in big-time college football. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I trust Tim will navigate these waters. And I think think Tim still is very influential in uh, the rules of our game and the how it's approached and how it's played. And he respects the game. That's the other thing. You know, you see such a lack of respect for the game. I hope that we never have a coach after Corbs retires that does some of the antics that you see in college baseball. There's no reason for it. Who cares? I mean, doing what you're supposed to do and the celebrations and all the silliness and over-the-top stuff, you know, there's enough of that in Major League Baseball. Let them do it. They're the ones making the big bucks. But uh, I don't know. I'm just, and maybe I'm just an old curmudgeon, but that's the way I feel about it. I trust the SEC actually to police its own game better than I do the NCAA. I've got no faith in the NCAA. I think the league, I don't think the league wants to put its coaches and players in a bad spotlight. I think there was some stuff going on a year ago that they just wanted to, to no comment and let's get to the off season and do something about it. And I think that's what happened. I think so. It's hard in midstream to change things. I get that. Um, but I saw firsthand and knew firsthand of some things that went on. And, uh, it was so frustrating to me just to know that, Hey, they're getting away with it. And, and I know it had to eat at a guy like Corbs or a guy like uh, a coach at South Carolina and Kentucky and people places that have to do things the right way. Yeah, I, I think it was it was far more than one program. So just oh no, no we'll, we'll leave it, we'll leave it there. Um, yeah, uh, Luke, any parting thoughts before we end the show today? No, just uh, Wednesday night. If you're a Vanderbilt fan, this is your chance to shine. Get in there, yell as hard as you can, and if we, you know, you you beat them, I think uh, you still have in front of you some things you can do because there's winnable games on this schedule. Uh, the toughest games left except for Kentucky and at Florida are all at home. So you have a chance, you have a chance, but this is when you got to step up and prove it. If we go out there and get beat by 30 again, pretty much write this thing off. I think. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next Monday. Thank you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk. 
Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.